What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week I announced that I was going to be sharing uh, the vision of our church with you this morning. And one of the important things I wanted to share with you guys was the fact that we're having three new men taking on uh, new roles. And I wanted to be able to to pray for them and uh, just for them to be able to share. But uh, one of them found out that he had to work after I announced that I was going to be doing that this week. And so uh, we want all of them to be able to be a part of it so we can pray for them and hear from them. So we're going to postpone the vision teaching uh, for a couple weeks from now. And it actually works out well because if you didn't know, today uh, is the uh, celebration of Pentecost. Uh, and so, you know, that's a, a Jewish celebration that lasted a long time and still to this day. But then, you know, a little over 2,000 years ago, it became very significant to Christians because it was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit for the very first time indwelt believers in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that was the start of the church. And uh, right after that happened, Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. And we kind of see, you know, everything start from there. Uh, and so I think it's quite um, significant that that took place on the day of Pentecost. Today is the day of Pentecost. And this is why I think it's it's good that we're not doing the Vision Sunday this week, because if we continue on as we will uh, in the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 16, Jesus shares with us some wonderful truths about the Holy Spirit. And so it connects well, you know, the Holy Spirit indwelt believers for the first time on the day of Pentecost. And now this morning we'll be looking at what Jesus shares with us about the Holy Spirit here in John chapter 16. Uh, and Jesus is going to share with us three important things about the Holy Spirit. First, Jesus is going to share with us the advantage that you and I have uh, with having the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The second thing Jesus is going to share is the work of the Holy Spirit among the unbelieving world. And the third thing Jesus is going to share with us is the work of the Holy Spirit among believers. Now, one of the most important parts of the Trinity for us to understand is the Holy Spirit. That's the one that actually indwells those that have put their trust in Jesus. He empowers us. There's so many things that he does for us. But in my experience as a pastor, and you look at statistics, actually the part of the Trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the least understood of the whole Trinity. Many people understand a lot of things about the Father. Probably the, the most understood is Jesus, the Son. But the one that's least understood is the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people in the church world today, they're not nearly as knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit as they are about the person of the Father or the Son, what the Holy Spirit does for them. And so it's important for us to understand that uh, as believers. A.W. Tozer wrote some strong words about the lack of dependence on the Holy Spirit in our day today versus in the days of the early church. He says this, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. 
If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Now, I don't agree with the 95%. I think that's quite large, but I do agree with the sentiment that he's sharing here of, you know what, today there are so many people who are just not dependent on the Holy Spirit, not connected with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of work in the church world today that's just our own strength and effort. And so if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn, he wouldn't be. But if he was, many people would just go on and they wouldn't even notice it because they weren't depending on him to begin with. But in the early church, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn, everyone would know because there was a much greater understanding of what he did and a much greater dependence on him to do it. So what we're going to look at this morning concerning the Holy Spirit, it's very important for each one of us as believers to understand, but also to apply to our lives. And so we're going to start with where Jesus starts with the advantage that there is of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7 says this, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You know, in the upper room there on that final night that Jesus is with his disciples several times now, and once again right here, Jesus makes clear he's departing. He's going away from them. This wasn't news that they were uh, liked to hear. This was a problem for them. But notice what he says. None of you ask me where you're going. Now, if you've been reading and studying through us here, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, you'll be like, wait a second. I seem to recall Peter asking Jesus where he was going in chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, Thomas asked Jesus where he was going. So, so what is it that Jesus means here when he says, none of you has asked me where I am going. Now, this is the thing that we need to understand here is that Jesus is not just speaking about the fact that the words weren't said. He, he recognized that the words, where are you going, have been asked, but they haven't been asked in the way that Jesus is asking it here. You see, when Peter asked it, and when Thomas asked it, they asked it focusing on what's going to happen to them. Jesus, where are you going? And then what's going to happen to us when you're gone? You know, if you leave us, where does that leave us in all of this? You know, we've been following you. And if you're gone, you know, you know what's going to happen to us? That was the focus of the question, not what's going to happen to you, Jesus. You know, if you're leaving, where are you going to go? And what are you going to go through? It's, you know, if you leave, what are, what's going to happen to us? And, and what are we going to go through. But Jesus here, when he poses this question that none of you asked me where you were going, he's focusing on what's going to happen to him. Now, now we know what's going to happen to him because we know what the story tells us that, you know, the reason he's going somewhere they can't come is he's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He knows where he's heading. He's like, you know what? None of you guys are really asking me where I'm going. What's going to happen to me? You're just kind of focused on, you know, when I leave, what's going to happen to you? And that concern for themselves is ultimately what leads them to the response that we see in verse 6, which is, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You know, the thought of Jesus leaving the disciples 
has filled their hearts with sorrow. And one of the main reasons why they're so sorrowful is because they only see Jesus' departure as a negative. They can't see any benefit to it. They can't see any advantage to them from it. You know, Jesus' departure from them is just one big negative problem in the way in which they view it. And, you know, this is a natural response that people have when someone that they love tells them they're leaving them. You know, I'm sure, you know, if you think of someone that you love here, if they came to you today and said, you know what, I'm leaving you and where I'm going, you can't come. You would respond in the same way that the first thought would be like, hey, what is that going to how's that going to impact me? You know, your departure, what's that going to do to my life? And then it would lead you to having sorrow filling your heart. You know, I know I definitely would have my heart filled with sorrow if the people I love told me that they were leaving and that they weren't allowing me to come with them. Now, one of the reasons our hearts get filled with sorrow is because we just see that as a negative. We just see that as something that has no benefit or advantage. And Jesus understood that. He understood that's what the disciples were thinking, that they only saw this as some negative thing. And that's why he says, you know what, guys? I want you to see my departure isn't negative for you. It's actually of benefit to you. It's an advantage to you. And that's why in verse 7, he tells them why it's an advantage. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, you know, this is great to hear, but I'm sure it was difficult to accept. Difficult to believe. You know, I mean, if someone comes to you that you love and, oh, I'm leaving, but it's to your advantage, you know, that's hard for us to, to really let that sink in and to believe that there's some kind of benefit to the person we love departing from us. The Greek word here translated advantage means useful, profitable, or beneficial. And I'm sure those weren't words that the disciples were using. Oh, you're leaving Jesus? That's useful. That's profitable. That's beneficial to us. No, they were thinking the exact opposite of that. You know, you and I will often say of a loved one who is suffering and about to die, you know, if they're a believer in Christ, hey, it's to their advantage that they die, that they're no longer suffering, that they now can go be with the Lord in heaven. You know, we say that of them, it's to their advantage. They benefit from death because they're suffering and now they're going to be in a wonderful place in heaven. But you know what? We don't say that about ourselves. Uh, we don't turn around and say, it's to my advantage that you die. It's to my advantage that you go to heaven because we don't believe that. We say, no, I want you here with me. It's to your advantage. I understand that you're better off in heaven, but I'm not better off with you gone. And so we don't associate things to our advantage when someone that we love is departing from us. And so this would have been hard for Jesus' disciples to, to believe this to accept this. And so that's why Jesus, before he even tells them why it's to their advantage, he starts off by saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, nevertheless is one of those great words in the Bible. It means despite all that. You know, you see it all the time where, you know, we're horrible to sinners. And despite all that, God's grace was shown on us. He still loves us. And here we see something of this. Despite all that, Jesus knows the disciples are filled with sorrow because he tells them he's going to leave. But he says, you know, despite all your sorrow, I want you to know this is to your advantage that I depart. And he adds a statement. I tell you the truth. He doesn't say, I tell you the truth because Jesus normally lied. And it's like, guys, I normally lie, but now I tell you the truth. No, he always told the truth. But he says this statement because he wants them 
to really believe what he's about to say is true. Guys, I know it's going to be hard for you to accept this as true, but let me know, let me tell you, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Believe it. Accept it. Trust in this. And then Jesus tells him why. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When Jesus says, if I do not go away from you, he's speaking of going away to his death and then his resurrection and ultimately his ascension back to heaven. He says, if that doesn't happen, guess what? I can't send the helper. Now, Jesus has spoken of sending the helper several times with the disciples. The helper is the Holy Spirit, and he can't come until Jesus leaves. So Jesus is saying, hey, in order for me to send the Holy Spirit to indwell you, I have to depart from you. So it's to your advantage that I go so that you can receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit indwelling your life. You see, what Jesus wants the disciples and us to understand is the indwelling presence and work of the Holy Spirit would actually be better for believers than the physical bodily presence of Jesus. Now that kind of goes against the way that we often think. I don't know about you, but I know I have thought this many times, and perhaps you have as well. If you thought, you know what, I wish I could have just been there when Jesus was here on this earth. That I could have listened to him teach Sermon on the Mount. That I could have watched him heal people. That I could have just been one of those disciples and, and seen and experienced and been physically with him. Because if that were the case, I'd be a far more spiritual Christian. If that were the case, I would have a much deeper walk with Jesus. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought that. I know I have, concluding that if I could just be physically there, it would have such a spiritual impact on my life. But you know, Jesus is actually saying that's not the case. He's saying that you and I are actually better off because his spirit indwells us. That instead of just being physically with Jesus, Jesus' spirit actually is in us now, which is to our advantage. J.D. Gerard wrote this, when Jesus was on earth, his miraculous work was contained to wherever he was at the moment. Now that he is in us, his power is wherever we are. The spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. You know, when Jesus was physically here on this earth, understand something. He could only be in one place at one time and minister to the people who were with him. Okay, so if, if Peter's in Jerusalem and uh, John is in Galilee, guess what? Jesus is going to have to choose who he's going to be with. He can't be with both of them. If there's a need here and a need there, he's got to choose where he's going to go because he's physically present and can only physically be in one place at one time. But now through his spirit, Jesus can be in every believer. Now through his spirit, he can be in Jerusalem and Galilee. He can be in Russia and America. He can be anywhere empowering people, ministering to people, blessing people through the power of his spirit. So the spirit inside of us is definitely better than Jesus beside us. And that's one of the huge blessings of the new covenant under Jesus versus the old covenant of the law. You see, the old covenant was an external covenant, but the new covenant is an internal covenant. In the old covenant, God was with the people. But in the new covenant, God is in his people. A very different thing. In the old covenant, God's people went to a physical temple where God dwelt to worship him. In the new covenant, we are the temple of God. He dwells in us. We don't have to go to him. He is always in us and with us. 
So it's truly to the disciples' advantage and to our advantage that Jesus went away to heaven so that He could send the Holy Spirit to indwell us, empower us for His service. So the first thing that Jesus wants us to know about the Holy Spirit is we have a wonderful advantage because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we're going to see just how much of an advantage that is as we look at a couple specific things that Jesus shares with us about the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. But before we look at that, the second thing that Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit is His work in the unbelieving world. So before we see His work in the believing world of Christians, we have to see what is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world of people who don't believe in Jesus. We see that in verses 8 through 11 says this, And when he had come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, the main work of the Holy Spirit among the non-believing world is one of conviction. He convicts the world of three main things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, the Greek word here translated convicts has a more broad meaning than than the way in which we typically use the word convict in our day and age today. It's more of a, a legal term that we would say declaring someone to be guilty of a crime and sentencing them to a punishment. Now, this Greek word could definitely be used in that legal sense of declaring someone guilty and and punishing them, but it also can be used in another area, in another way as well, meaning to convince someone of something, to bring things out into the open, to make them clear. And I think this is interesting that this Greek word can have these two different ways in which it's defined, because really both of those things are what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts, but he also seeks to convince. He wants to convict you of sin, of righteousness and judgment, but he also wants to convince you of those realities as well. You see, there are areas in our life, the first area, the area of sin. And the Holy Spirit, to the lost sinner, convicts of that sin. He wants to make very clear the truth that the Bible reveals in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He wants that to become real to people that they recognize that they truly are sinners. He convinced people of that truth. But you know, people today, if you ask them, most people will respond with, I'm a good person. Typically, people don't describe themselves of, yeah, I'm a horrible, sinful person. You know, they're usually the way in which they describe themselves is, I am a good person. And the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to help convince them, actually, that's not true. You're a sinful person, and it's a problem that you have, and until you recognize that problem, you're never going to look to a solution for that problem. You know, and he also reveals the greatest sin of all, and that's not murder, adultery. The greatest sin of all is the sin of not believing in Jesus. Notice what verse 9 says, of sin because they do not believe in me. The reason that the sin of not believing in Jesus is worse than any other sin because it's the only sin that can't be forgiven. 
That's what forgiveness is all based on, whether or not you're willing to put your belief in Jesus Christ. And for those who are not willing to do that, God's judgment for all eternity is placed upon them. And so it's such a significant thing because you can be guilty of all sorts of other sins and they can be forgiven. But the one that can't be is a rejection of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and I on the cross. So the first area that the Holy Spirit both convicts and convinces the unbelieving world is in the area of sin. The second area is in the area of righteousness. You see, sin is the truth about every person. Each one of us are sinners. Righteousness, on the other hand, is the truth about God. God is completely righteous. He is sinless. All He does is right. And that is the opposite of what we are. Romans 3.10 tells us, There is none righteous, no, not one. And so the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to convict us of that reality. Guess what? You are not righteous. Not only does he want to reveal that you're a sinner, but those people who think I'm a good person, they think I'm a good person because of the good works that I do. And there's this mindset that, you know what, if I can do enough good works, then God will let me into heaven. You know, if you ask the majority of people after the service today who don't believe in Jesus, you know, if you were to die today, why should God let you into heaven? The most common response you're going to get is because my good works outweigh my bad. God's going to let me in because I've done enough good works and in their mind to make me righteous, to give me a right standing before God. But the reality is, that's not true. God is righteous and His standard is perfection. And guess what? None of us could ever meet the standard of God. That's why He says in verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Notice that Jesus came to this earth and he declared the righteousness of God. He showed it to everybody. Living that sinless life, he was declaring God's righteousness and he says, you know what, now I'm leaving and guess what? There's going to be one to replace me, the Holy Spirit. And as I declare the righteousness of God to the world, now he is going to declare the righteousness of God to the world in my absence. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, But we all are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. You know, we think, and I can definitely do some really good works that are going to attain me a right standing before God, but God's Word says, no, all those efforts on our part, in ourselves, to try to be righteous before God, they're like filthy rags to Him. We can't do it. The only way that you can become righteous before God is if you accept the work of Jesus on your behalf. You can't do the work on your own. You know what? And even if God saw our works as something righteous, which He doesn't, guess what? That doesn't change the fact that you're still a sinner. You can spend the rest of your life doing great works for God and never sin again, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still a guilty sinner and still deserve judgment from God because all it takes is one sin to make you guilty and no amount of good works is going to change the fact that you've already broken God's law and His standard is perfection and none of us meet it. The Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world that nothing they do is going to ultimately make them Righteous, And he tries to convince them of the reality that they must accept the work of Jesus Christ for them because that's the only way to be righteous before God. So the first area that the Holy Spirit both convicts and convinces is in the area of sin. The second is in the area of righteousness. And the third is in the area of judgment. Sin is the truth about every person. We are all sinners. 
Righteousness is a truth about God. He is the only true righteous one. And judgment, well, judgment is just the inevitable combination of those two truths. When you have a sinful group with a righteous God, that righteous God must bring judgment upon those sinners. So the Holy Spirit not only convicts of the fact that we're sinners, we don't have a right standing before God, but that the consequence of that is that God's judgment is now upon us because of our sin. And so he convicts, but he also wants to convince people of the coming judgment of God. And this is something in the world today that people want to not think about, they want to ignore, they want to steer clear of. You know, one of the big reasons why people want to be atheists, why they want to think that there is no God, is because if there's no God, guess what? There is no one to judge them for their sin. If God doesn't exist, I can live however I want. And there's no consequences to that because there's no one making a moral standard that I have to live by. And so there is a big desire from people to say, I want to deny there's a God because I don't want to be held accountable for the things that I do. And this is what so many people have concluded. And so the Holy Spirit convicts, hey, that's not true. There is a God. He is going to judge you. You are going to stand before Him. All these things that you're choosing to do, they are going to bring judgment upon your life if you don't get right with Jesus Christ. Now, the judgment of God should be something that people believe and accept because He's already demonstrated that He has done and will do, and He's done it in what He calls the ruler of this world, which is Satan. And that's why in verse 11, he says of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That judgment has been cast down to Satan. He's been removed from heaven and God saying, hey, I've already judged sin in him. You can be confident I'll judge sin in everyone who does not accept my son and receive forgiveness for their sins. Now, the Holy Spirit can bring this conviction. He can bring this uh, convincing, you know, in a very supernatural way. He can kind of just move in people's hearts. He can move in people's minds. And he does that for sure. But you know what? He also does it in a very practical way that sometimes we don't recognize. And that is, hey, he indwells us and he loves to use us to be a part of this process of convicting and convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And one of the best ways that we can be a part of that is by sharing the gospel. You see, the beginning of the gospel, if you're going to share the gospel effectively, you have to start with the bad news before you share the good news. Because if you just go with the good news, then people don't have any understanding of why that has any bearing on their life. I don't care that Jesus died. I don't care that he you know, did all this because I'm a good person. Why do I need that? If they don't know the bad news, then they don't understand their need for the good news of what Jesus did. And so the bad news is the reality that everyone is a sinner that no one can meet the righteous standard of God and that we will be judged for all eternity in hell if we don't get right with Jesus, which then transfers into the good news that, hey, Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sin. And if you accept what he has done for you, then God will forgive you. You can escape the judgment of God because he already poured it out on Jesus so that he doesn't have to pour it out on you, but you have a choice to make in accepting Jesus to escape that judgment. But notice that we can be a part of that. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just have to supernaturally move in hearts and minds. He can also move through you and I as we share the gospel truth. And the gospel truth in itself will convict and convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
You know, and we see that the very first time the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Remember I said today is the day of Pentecost. And if we look back a little over 2,000 years ago and remember what happened in Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the believers, the first thing that they do with the unbelieving world is that Peter stands up and he shares the gospel. And the thing that we're told after the gospel is shared is that they were cut to the hearts, meaning they recognize that they're sinners. They recognize that they crucified Jesus and they see that and they ask, what must we do to be saved? The Spirit of God was working. He was convicting and convincing of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But notice he was doing it through the gospel message that Peter proclaimed. And the wonderful result is that 3,000 people accepted the gospel, were saved, and the start of the church happened on that day. So the second thing that Jesus wants us to know about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and He wants to use us to help do that through sharing the gospel. You know, if you have a loved one, a friend, co-worker, neighbor, that you know is lost, that you know has not put their trust in Jesus Christ, I first want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit's working on that person right now. They're working on their heart. They're working on their mind. The Holy Spirit is convicting and convincing them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I also want to challenge you. He wants to use you. You're in that person's life. And He wants to use you as His spokesperson to share the gospel so that they also can be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment through the message of the gospel and also know the good news of what they need to do in order to be saved. So Jesus has shared the work of the Holy Spirit among the unbelieving world. He's told us it's to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And now he's going to give us two specific reasons why it's such an advantage. You know, why is it so good that the Holy Spirit indwells you and indwells me? Well, let's see what Jesus shares with us in verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Notice Jesus makes clear here that there are many more things that he wants to tell the disciples. I mean, when you go through the scriptures and you think of all the things that, you know, we learn about God and discover just even in three years, I mean, Jesus would have so much to tell the disciples that would just be more than they could take in, more than he could share in that time. And so he's like, guys, I got a lot more things to share with you, but I recognize right now it's more than you can bear. You know, I could go all night long and I could share all these different things, but it's more than you can bear and take on right now. But you know what? Jesus wasn't bothered by that. Now, if you knew you were about to die, you were about to depart, and there was more that you wanted to share with your loved ones, I'm sure that would bother you if you're thinking, man, now's my last opportunity. If I don't say it now, they're never going to hear it. If I don't say it now, they're never going to be able to be impacted by it and, and grow from it. But Jesus isn't bothered by it. Why? Because of the wonderful work that the Holy Spirit does for believers. He says, however, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you in to all truth. You see, Jesus understands, hey, I don't need to tell you everything right now. Uh, there's other stuff that you guys need to learn. There's other stuff that you need to know. But you know what? When I go, I know that the Spirit is going to replace me. I know that He's going to be here. And guess what He's going to do? He's going to indwell you. 
but also he is going to be the one who guides you into all truth. So these truths that I haven't been able to share with you right now, he's going to do that for me. He's going to deliver that to you. He's going to communicate those things to you after I'm gone. And not only that, Jesus says, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. See, Jesus knows when I leave you guys, I'm not leaving you, as he says earlier on, as orphans. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to speak truth to you. He's going to speak based on my authority. He's going to speak based on the things that he has heard me say. So he's going to deliver to you the things that I would love to deliver you right now, but you're not a little barret. He's going to come and he's going to guide you into all these spiritual truths that you need to know. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does for believers is he guides us into all truth. And that all truth is speaking of spiritual truth, not every single truth in the universe, but more specifically, the truth of God, who He is, His Word, what He has for us. But you know what? The only way that someone can guide you somewhere is if they know the way themselves. You can't guide someone if you don't have a clue where you're going. you got to know where you're going, and that's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. Notice what He's called, the Spirit of Truth. He can guide you into truth because He is the Spirit of Truth. He knows truth. And he can deliver to you and I the truths of God, of his word, of what he has for our life, which is such a wonderful thing, a wonderful blessing, because we need that. You and I need to understand these truths, and the Spirit of God has been given to us to guide us in those things so that we could discover them and understand them. You know, I think something very important to understand is that the Bible is a book of spiritual truths. Yeah, sometimes people think, you know, well, if I was just more intellectual, then I would understand the Bible better. You know, there's plenty of brilliant people who read the Bible and are clueless about what it says because it's a spiritual book. And you need the Spirit of God in order to understand the spiritual truths that are there. It's not just intellect. It's depending upon the Spirit to reveal these things. So I encourage you, every time you study the Bible, you should start with a sincere prayer of, Lord, I I know that without you... Without your guidance here, that there are truths that I'm not going to know. There are truths I'm not going to see. So I ask that you would guide me, that I would understand the truths of your word as I open it up and seek to learn from it. And trust that he will do that because we're told that's what he does. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does for believers is he guides believers into all truth. The second thing he does is in verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me, for he will take what is of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You know, we've already noted that when Jesus came to this earth, one of the main purposes that he had was to glorify God the Father. He glorified God the Father by speaking the words that the Father gave him to speak and by doing the works that the Father gave him to do. And I find now interesting, Jesus departs, the Spirit of God replaces him. And what is the one goal of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? Hey, I'm here to glorify Jesus. Jesus came to glorify the Father. I'm replacing Jesus, and I'm here to glorify Jesus. And notice how he glorifies Jesus by taking what is Jesus's and declaring it to us. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit taking what is Jesus's is declaring it to us. Notice what we're told, all things that the Father has are Jesus's. So Jesus is saying, everything that is of God's are mine, because I am God, and the Spirit of God, guess what? He is going to declare all of that to you guys. And this is just such a wonderful reality that all these things about God that we're so desperate to know, 
The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and dwells us and declares to us these things. And you know what it does? It brings glory to Jesus. Jesus knew the disciples still had a lot to learn about who he was. They still had a lot to learn about you know, what his plan was for their lives. But he knew, you know what? The Spirit of God, he's going to come. And he's going to declare those things to the disciples and to us. So the second thing the Holy Spirit does for believers is he brings glory to Jesus by declaring to us all things that are God's. You know, you and I desperately need all things that are God's declared to us so that we can know who God is, so that we can know the plan He has for our lives. And one of the wonderful blessings is that the Spirit of God reveals those things to us. The Holy Spirit declares these things, and in doing so, it brings glory to God. But you know what? When we believe these things and we apply these things to our lives, that also brings glory to God as well. Now, there are many more specific things that the Holy Spirit does for believers. So, you know, don't think that this is an exhaustive list of like, wow, there's two wonderful things that he does. These are wonderful things. But if you read through the Bible, you'll find just in the New Testament alone over 50 specific things that the Holy Spirit does for believers. So these are two of those 50. So understand this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it is a start to understand some of the wonderful things that Jesus does. But there are other things like giving us spiritual gifts, like giving us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, empowering us to live for God, sanctifying us, sealing us for the day of uh, redemption, guaranteeing us um, that glorified body, transforming us into the image of God, revealing to us the mysteries of God, comforting us, you know, just to name a, a few of those. So we need to recognize understanding the Holy Spirit is something that's so important. And I hope this spurs you on to say, you know, I want to know more. I'm so happy that I understand it's an advantage. I'm happy that I understand more of what the Spirit does with the unbelieving world. I'm grateful that I know these two things that he does for believers. Man, I want to know all the things that he does for me so that I can be more dependent on him and trusting him in my life. But I just want to challenge you. The Spirit of God wants to use you. As we look at what He does with the unbelieving world, remember, hey, He wants to use you to be a part of that. Yes, He's going to convict and convince of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but He wants you to be a part of sharing the gospel, part of the process of reaching people with that important understanding so they can come to the knowledge of Jesus. And He wants to guide you into all truth. He wants to bring glory to Jesus by declaring all things that are God's. We need to depend on that. If you want to know more about God and more about the truths of His Word, you're going to have to look to and depend upon the Holy Spirit. So as you study His Word, make sure you look to Him for those things. Make sure you're dependent upon Him. You know, every time I study the Bible, I do pray that prayer. Lord, I just want guidance. I want revelation. I want you to help me understand the truths that are here. Every time I teach, I say, Lord, I want you to take the words that I'm teaching. I want you to impact people, guide them to the truths that you want. If there's things that I'm saying that aren't of you, then help that not to be the things that they take from this. Lord, guide them to the truths of your word. Help them to grasp those things. And so I encourage you to recognize the importance of asking the Holy Spirit to help you in this way, to rely upon the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to trust Him in that. And I just want to close by praying a prayer for all of you and myself included, that just the message that we've looked at this morning, that the verses that we've looked at this morning, that the Spirit of God would take those, that He would guide us to truth, 
that he would guide us to how we can apply those things to our life and that we can become more like Jesus through it and that we can glorify God through it. So let's just close asking the Spirit of God to do what we're told he does for us. Father, we are so grateful that you sent us your Spirit. Truly it is a wonderful advantage that he indwells us right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would do that work that you do of guiding us, of revealing to us the truths of who you are, the truths of your word. And I just pray that the verses that we've looked at this morning, the truths that are there, Lord, that you would just help us to understand those intellectually, to be willing to apply those to our lives practically. Lord, that this wouldn't just be something that we walk away thinking that was nice to hear or that was encouraging or that was challenging, but that it would truly change us. That we become more like you through it, Lord, and we know that in and of ourselves, that's not possible. We don't have the strength, we don't have the intellect, we don't have the ability to accomplish becoming more like Jesus, but we know that you have the ability to change us. You are the one who can do that in us. And I just pray that you would help us just to be more dependent on you, more trusting in you, more willing to rely upon all that you do for us so that we can become more like Jesus through it all. If you're here this morning and you've been listening to this message and you realize, you know what, you've never made a choice to put your trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God is working on you right now, convicting you of the sin in your life, of the fact that you do not meet the righteous standard of God and that His judgment is coming upon you. But the good news is that Jesus died for you. If you put your trust in Him, you can be forgiven of your sins. If you put your trust in Him, you can be confident that you'll be going to heaven. If you've never done that today, and you want to make a choice to believe in Jesus, you want to make a choice to know that today is the day that you truly are saved. Today is the day that you can be confident that your sins are forgiven, that you could go to heaven and be with God and have a relationship with Him. I just want to give you an opportunity Right now, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer with you, but I just want to give you an opportunity. If that's you today, you've never done that, and you want to do that, I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand. When people's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, just between you and God and me seeing you, uh, if you want to do that today, you've never done that before, I just want to encourage you, raise your hand today. Let today be the day that you accept Christ. Anyone here, never done that, I want to do it today. 